the situation at Wrangell St. Elias, it was a, a new park, five years old um, at the time. Uh, I was the second superintendent. Dick Martin arrived at Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve in Alaska in 1985. His five years there taught him how to work with communities in the face of controversy. During two interview sessions with Allison Steiner, one in 2012 and the other in 2013, Dick reflected on the lessons he learned while living and working in rural Alaska. This interview was conducted in conjunction with the Association of National Park Rangers Oral History Project. I'm historian Lou Ann Jones, and you're listening to Centennial Voices, a production of the Park History Program in Washington, D.C. When Dick was hired, regional officials told him to report in January, coldest month of the year in Alaska. I get up there at 60 below. I can't rent a place in town because they won't rent to the park service. Uh, we were the least loved people in this small town in rural Alaska. Uh, you went into the grocery store, they knew who you were, give you dirty looks, the clerks were surly. You buy gas at the gas station and you know you'd hear snide comments from the back of the room. That's a goddamn parky out there. So we were pretty much socially ostracized from polite society. I finally found a place a little ways out of town. It was a one-room cabin with a loft for sleeping. No running water, outhouse, and a wood stove. And I lived there for five years. Wrangell St. Elias was one of the parks created by passage of the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act of 1980. The uh, place was hugely controversial. I think it was certainly one of the most controversial parks in the system at the time, even though there were several new parks or expanded parks in Alaska uh, right then. Uh, if we'd been one of new one with 13 old ones, we'd have been fine, I think, because the regional office and the other parks could have supported us. But since there were five others that were all just as new as Wrangell's, the work requirements were just plain overwhelming because of all the demands and all the needs of the park and our limited ability with staff, you know, to perform them. So every day, you know, we had to do a hundred things and we could only do about ten of them. <laughs> and, uh, it was a, a great exercise in priority setting. Uh, a real lessons learned in dealing with the big rocks, not the little rocks. Wrangell's was, of course, the largest park in the system then by far, and uh, the largest in Alaska, 13 million acres. So it was essentially the size of the state of West Virginia. Disagreements arose over activities that had to change after lands became protected areas. One of the big ones, of course, was sport hunting, but there was also uh, you know, mining under BLM management. There were folks that lived in the park, sometimes under permit, but more often not, uh, just living out there. I felt in my particular case I was poorly prepared <laughs> for, to put it mildly, for the level, level of controversy, acrimony, and in some cases downright hostility to National Park Service management. Having been a ranger for, uh, what was it, 15 years at that time and dealt with a lot of unhappy people and a lot of what in some cases were maybe even dangerous situations, dealing with a room full of unhappy local people 
was something I was poorly prepared for. It became obvious to me that there were few people I could go to in the National Park Service to provide me with advice on how to deal with this issue productively. Uh, productively, again, being how do we move the park forward? How do we establish NPS principles and management and do this in a way that does not result in a mushroom-shaped cloud of acrimony, hostility, and, and political repercussions? The approach I, that finally evolved in my mind after going to a few very unhappy locals' meetings was that my role was to listen, my role was to be sympathetic and understanding, to assure I understood uh, what folks' concerns were, to explain what NPS was actually doing and proposed to do, to assure folks that their concerns would be listened to and considered, and also to explain that the people have, in fact, spoken that it is a national park and that the national park program will, in fact, be established and will be followed and that we would mitigate that to the extent we could when folks had a legitimate concern. So I decided, and I'd actually, for lack of a good alternative, <laughs> to hold regular meetings to talk to anybody that would that would talk to to listen to anybody that had anything to say to get back with folks that had questions to promise that we would always be available to hear their concerns and yeah, that we would we would respond with what we knew to be uh, correct so the first year I was there we had uh, 39 public meetings which was more than um, which was almost one a week, all over that part of Alaska. Never turned down an invitation to go to a meeting, even if it was in a bar. Went and listened, responded as best I could, and um, always got back with people regarding their concerns. And over the course of, of a year of 39 meetings, I believe that we, the park staff, we're gaining credibility with people uh, because we were speaking facts, not fantasy. Uh, we weren't making promises we couldn't keep and we were not saying things that were not true. We were speaking facts and we were responding uh, sympathetically, understandingly, but factually. And gradually, the, the second year I was there, we had fewer meetings, though still plenty. By the third year, some amazing things began to happen. Uh, many of the concerns that had been expressed uh, began to be relaxed a little bit. Totally, no. But I began to feel uh, like I was more welcome when I went to the grocery store and the gas station in, in the towns around there. Well, I found it a, a tremendously rewarding experience and, and a, lot of, a lot of fun and very inspiring. I mean, talk about a phenomenal national park. And I, and I learned a tremendous amount about dealing with controversy, tremendous amount. And this helped me so much in my later career at, in Washington, D.C., and particularly at Death Valley. The things I learned at Wrangell's, I found that I grew as an individual significantly. I grew as a parent. I grew as a 
family member, and I I grew as a, as a leader. I I, I thank the Park Service for for uh, giving me that experience. If the Park Service hadn't been there to to trust me to succeed, why well, I wouldn't have been able to learn and grow and and also have the the rewarding parts of that experience. So it was the you know the National Park Service that I uh, give credit to for that experience and that growth and that learning. Thanks for listening. For Centennial Voices, I'm Luann Jones, audio production courtesy of Alicia Rogers, an intern with the National Park Service.